Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I didn't sing it this time. <laughs> that was like you were, <coughs> like, I don't know, uh, like a, I don't want to be offensive. I was going to say like a hobo from New York or something. <laughs> I, don't know hobo, I don't know if hobo is a. You've <laughs> offended our hobo listeners to <laughs> our hobo the audience. Hobo, the hobo audience is very upset now. I apologize. For is there comments. is there a politically correct term for hobo? I don't know. Um, it probably just shows my I, age, I, th- I guess. I, I think if we reach around for it, we'll just dig deeper. So, um, yeah. Anyway, where was I? But it was like well, you just like envisioned you with like a big cigar or something. <laughs> Welcome back okay. to the I, show. Where's it's another week, and <laughs> we're gonna talk about movies. <laughs> um, but that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about movies. Yay! Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and this is my co-host. I am Chris Huddleston, and today we are both in high spirits as we prepare to discuss. The 1990, correct? 1990, yep. The 1990 film, A Shock to the System. Graham Marshall was having a bad day. Graham? What? What is the matter with you tonight? A bad job. There is a man in my office. A bad marriage. I forgive you for failing. Now he just killed to have a good time. Yay! Michael Caine, Elizabeth McGovern, and Peter Riegert. We mustn't let a little thing like this ruin our evening. A shock to the system. I don't know these sailboats. I think my Cessna is safer anytime. You fly a plane? Every weekend. What a shock. A shock to the system. Okay, back to the right 1990. Felt like a chapter change there from the 80s to the 90s. Anyway, do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. When experience... Oh, so this is a 1990 movie. It was directed by Jan or Jan, I'm not sure, Eggleson, which I could not find. Their, that person's filmography is is pretty sparse. I didn't recognize any of the other things that they had, movies that they'd worked on. They worked on some TV, but... Um, so pretty sparse, but, uh, when experienced advertising executive Graham Marshall, Michael Caine loses out on a promotion to a younger man, the situation inadvertently leads him to chase a, to cause a sub subway accident in which a homeless man is killed that we're going to have to talk about, um, discovering that there are no consequences to this incident. Marshall begins plotting revenge on anyone who has wronged him and even his longtime wife, isn't safe. How far will Marshall travel down this path of vengeance? Uh, I don't, I, that's not the synopsis I would have written, but I guess it gets the job done. Um, yeah. I, I had never seen this before. Had you seen it before? I had. Yeah. I saw this on when it first came out on video, I watched it with some friends and I don't know if I was the one who rented it or somebody else rented it, but I liked it. And I remember my friends not responding well to it. So I might've been the one who chose it and they were mad at me. I don't know. But, uh, but I had seen it long, long ago and just remembered it as, as it, it came up on HBO max. That's why. So if you have HBO, HBO max, it's playing on there right now. And I was like, Oh, you know, I remember, I remembered liking it. So. Yeah, I it wasn't it was an interesting watch. Uh it, there's a, there's a lot to talk about. Um because I I feel like I had questions about what the movie was trying to say. Uh there were it seemed like there was a couple of different thrusts uh, happening and they didn't, they weren't all, it's not like it kept changing its mind, but I feel like it, um, I, I don't know how to say it more eloquently. The, the movie was a little confused. So it, it's a dark comedy, right? I think it's pretty clear more than a thriller or certainly a horror movie. It's, 
A comedy? That's what I was going to say. Did you find it funny? We talked about this before, and I, I don't... Did you use the, the slapsticky trailer? I... Uh, that's an excellent question. I don't remember. I'll have okay. to go back and check which trailer we've got. Because the yeah. initial trailer that I sent you is like, and and I I watched the trailer before rewatching the movie, and I was like, I don't remember this being a comedy, and it, like they made it seem real zany, right? And right. And after what, like all every description that I see of this is a dark comedy, and and even after watching it, I'm like, was it a was it even? I don't even know if I would express it as a explain it as a dark comedy it it wasn't funny i didn't find it funny but there are very clearly gags written into it Mm -hmm. you know jokes and i call them gags because they're like oh this will slay him and then here's a great bit you know you can almost feel the author being like this will land like this will get a big laugh and none of it does but it's it's pitched that way and and you know people lean over to light each other's cigars and they lean into camera and it's there's almost a vaudevillian um angle to it in the way that they present some of this stuff and some of the dialogue is very ham-handed right like the lighting of the cigars thing is a motif like when he thinks he's going to get a promotion he's happy to let the underling like, Oh, here, let me light his cigar for him. But then it turns out that the underling has maneuvered around and gets the promotion and they, they invites him over for dinner. He he and his wife and they're sitting there on the table. It's like, Oh, do you have a light? And he's like prompting the guy, Michael Caine to light his cigar. And his, his wife, who is this sort of, we need to talk about the women in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, She's like, you know, you have a lighter, you go light, you know, and it's like, is this, I should, is lighting each other's cigars, maybe it was, was that thing in the 90s where it was a status thing, whoever lights the other guy's cigar is low status, and the, I don't know, it just had this weight in the movie, and it was painting Michael Caine as this kind of hen-pecked husband who never catches a break, and the older guy at the ad agency uh, who's always being passed over by the younger, you know, um, more aggressive corporate guys. And, you know, and, and the, this sort of murder fantasy that comes out, he accidentally, uh, I can't stick to a single thought. It's making me remember New York of 1990. Now, I did not live in New York in 1990, but in this movie, the New York of 1990 is filled with the homeless. Like they're everywhere. Like if you walk out of the door of your place to the subway, you have to shoulder your way through a zombie horde of 650,000 homeless yeah. people. You have to, if you're in Grand Central Station, you are. I that was stepping, hilarious. You're Grand, stepping over sleeping. Grand Central Station, they're just everywhere. <clears throat> yeah. Homeless people. And you're walking down the street and no less than 20 people say, hey, buddy, give me a dollar. You know, literally like, come on, man, give me a dollar. What do you make a million a year? Give me a dollar. And and you're just like, I don't. I mean, they shot it in New York. It's real subway shots. I was struck by the subway. I'm like, the subways look terrible in 1990. And, you know, I just left the city last year. So I'm like 31 years later, they look 31 years worse. (laughs) Not a lick, uh, you know, not a lick of work has been done on them since 1990. Um, And there are a lot of homeless, especially I went, I was back in New York yesterday and there are a lot of homeless people and it's striking, but they don't behave the way that they behave in this movie. They didn't go up to you and say, hey buddy, I bet you, what do you make? A million dollars a year? Give me a dollar. A million a year? Give me a dollar. Um, Maybe it was that hobo. Maybe the cigar. It was the hobo. <laughs> it was the hobo. Uh, uh, but, yeah. But so he pushes the guy. He pushes a. Sorry, the whole murder fantasy thing kind of starts. This bomb is. He find out he didn't get the promotion. He's furious, right? Seething. He's down in the subway, and this guy won't leave him alone. Come on, give me, come on, yeah. And then he grabs him, and he sort of sho- get off of me, and he shoves him away from him. 
And the guy staggers back and stumbles and falls into the subway track right in front of an oncoming train, which just plows over him like he doesn't exist. And everybody gets off. They say, this train is going out of service. And everybody's sort of like angry and, oh, come on. But that nobody seems to have noticed that a guy was just hit by the train, right? If a person is hit by a subway train, it shuts down the whole station. There is a police investigation. It does go out of service. But everybody is aware of what happens. People are hysterical. It's bad. And it it happens. You know, people fall on the tracks or, or pushed or whatever. And it's it is terrible. But there's no like and nobody even knew, you know, that there would be an investigation. It wouldn't just Here, be like. This was my question that I had with that. <clears throat> there was no other point in the film that I felt this way. But with that scene and a couple of scenes after that relating to it. Were we in unreliable narrator territory? Because he gets back home and he's thrown his shirt away and oh, there's no his, his wife finds the shirt and she says, oh, what happened? He said, oh, I tore my shirt. And she looks at it and she says, there's no tear here. And and when he <clears throat> when when the homeless guy falls uh, into the you know, the subway area. Doesn't Michael Caine go over and look, but the camera never shows, shows you a body laying there or right. anything. So I, <clears throat> I was never quite sure if that part of it was a fantasy or not. Did that actually, did he actually really kill that guy or did he just think he did? I don't know. How did you feel about that? I mean, I assumed that he had really killed the guy and that it was just bad movie making. <laughs> That's okay. That's how okay. I interpreted it. And I, I did note the there's no tear here, but it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe he just thought it was torn and it wasn't. You know, it, I, I didn't seem like, yeah. oh, okay. the whole thing was a weird fantasy. But zooming back out for a second, I think this whole movie thinks it's really clever in ways like that. That will be like, man, this works on so many levels, right? And most mm-hmm. of it is just, I think none of the, their great ideas came through. I think casting Michael Caine in this is wrong. I thought, you know, it's Michael Caine. I, I love Michael Caine and he is amazing, but I don't think he was the right fit for this character, uh, considering okay. all the other casting they had. Um, he goes home then, right? And his wife, who is this, I don't b- buy it as a marriage in the first place. Like, I just don't buy that these two have been married their whole lives and have this relationship. It doesn't feel true to me. It doesn't make sense to me. He's got mm-hmm. this nice house in Connecticut, right? She, he married her. She's rich. Now he has a pretty, pretty high paying, like madman job at a, a big agency in New York, right? He's a senior guy. It's not like he doesn't make money, but the fact that he doesn't get this promotion is disappointing to his wife. And it's proof that he's not, she says, I forgive you for having failed. Right. I mean, people don't talk like this. So yeah, that was weird. So he, their electrical system doesn't work. And he's like, well, we need to have the house rewired. And she's like, we can't afford it. I'm like, come on. You guys live in the, you know, you're like living in new Canaan, Connecticut. You can afford to have the house rewired instead there's this very janky, turns out deadly, dangerous uh, wiring issue downstairs, which he finds out by getting a zap, a uh, shock to the system. Get it? And he laughs. Right. After uh, he gets shocked, as you would. It like knocks him across would. the room and he laughs. <laughs> and what you do, that what would you be do if that happens to you is immediately call an electrician and you rewire yeah. your house. And if you have to take out a bank loan to do it, you do that because- this is and not they never only... present that they have financial problems or anything. It's not like, you know, he's he's wanting to get this promotion, but there's never the scene. It, it, he almost wants the uh, I mean, he definitely wants the promotion as a status thing. And because his wife wants him to get it and all of that. But there's never like the scene where he's going through the past due bills or something like that. You right. know what I mean? So it's not like. They don't you have the feeling that they don't have the money that they can have this fixed. There are some gestures to like she's 
spending more than usual because she expects him to be making more money or whatever. And he's like, we have to budget. But, you know, there's a whole exchange about the brown checks and the green checks or the his account, right? The And then the brown checks are like her trust or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It, it it didn't feel plausible to me at all. And I think he does. He feels he deserves this promotion. And I think what we do see effectively later in the film is that he really does. Like he is a strong leader. He's good with his subordinates. He understands his team. He brings out the humanity in them. And he would be a great team lead. Oh, but this is 1990 where the computers are coming in. It's all the young guys. There's even an Asian guy, right? Who's the computer guy. And you're like, hey, boy. Um, and it just feels like all oh, the new, the new, the new young guns are coming in with their high technology and cutting all the workforce and moving old geezers like us out, out of the way to maximize corporate profits. So it's like he starts killing people. So he can rise through, and that that is also a shock to the capital S system or something. Like I don't, I, I can't understand if this guy's supposed to be a hero, or an anti-hero, or an underdog, or an aspirational figure. You know, I mean, I think the movie would say, "Well, it's all of the above," and I'd be like, "That's just lazy and muddy, <laughs> right?" Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Because he's a murderer is what he is. And I, I, the movie does a pretty good job of making the people he murders. I don't feel bad for the people that he murders. Like, no, you're, you're clearly supposed to be right. root, rooting for him. But he is a cold-blooded murderer. He premeditates it and he pulls it off. And he grows more confident in his behavior with each time he does it. And spoiler alert, by the end of the movie, he gets away with it, too. And he's dating this really nice girl at the office who's young enough to be his daughter by a long shot. And she's really nice. And she's one of the genuinely likable characters in the film. And there's a scene at the end where she discovers that he's done it because of a missing lighter that has somehow come around. Mm -hmm. And he threatens her. He's menacing to her like he's going to push her into the subway. And so she gives him the lighter and he transfers her to L.A. or something and she doesn't end up getting hurt. But by the end of the movie, that left a really bad taste in my mouth. And I'm like, I can't root for this guy anymore. Like he's that's the part where you're definitely not with him because the other people, you know, he gets passed over for his promotion and that, you know, that like you said, he really deserved and the guy's you know, an asshole that, that passes him over. So you don't feel bad about that. You, you know, I don't know that they, that they paint the wife as so unlikable that you're just like, yeah, it was great that he killed her. Uh, But you know, she's supposed to be unlikable or annoying or whatever. Not that that means that she deserves to get murdered, but she's certainly not sympathetic. Yeah. She's not sympathetic. But like you said, the, uh, the, the, what and what was her name? Selma, the girl. Is that it? The girlfriend, something like that. I um, don't remember. Like you said, she's this very nice, sweet person. You smart, know, competent. Smart. Like she, she's, uh, you know, she's terrific. And when she turns, and when he turns on her, then you're just like, oh, okay. I, I'm not on board with this. And he starts to feel his oats. Like, uh, there's this running first-person um, narration. Not first-person. It's it's Michael Caine narrating his own thoughts in the third person, right? So he's like, oh, he, he, uh, it's tempting for me to try a Michael Caine impersonation here. And if I wasn't drinking non-alcoholic beer, I probably would. But I'll spare you that. He's like, he remembered the time when... You know, he, he would have gone after that girl and, you know, not been a shy to exert his masculine power and stuff like that. And you're like, what are you talking about? And he's a oh, wizard. There's a wizard thing. Yeah. What is going his on? Magic. The whole time he's like, bippity boppity boom. Mm-hmm. Zippity alakazam. And he's muttering this to himself. So I'm like, so is he crazy? You know what I mean? There's just mm-hmm. so much in this gumbo of a movie that... I I can't get my head around. Uh, 
it's 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 really now all that being said is <laughs> it, it wasn't unwatchable like i i enjoyed watching michael kane perform and i enjoyed watching it unfold so I, the movie is not a total misery or it's not a failure I, excuse me i enjoyed watching it um i just think it didn't work uh it wasn't it didn't work and slash because uh i didn't know what it was going for really mm -hmm. so as it was hard for me i'm like well that was confusing you know <laughs> um but i didn't hate it yeah if anything i think so this was based on a novel uh i don't just offhand i don't know the the author's name and I was not familiar with the novel, so I don't know how true to the novel this this film is. But um, oh, somebody's car alarm is going off. Yeah, I, I oh. have the window open. That's my the guy. Oh, he got it quickly this time. Oh, very. Sometimes quickly. it goes on for a stretch. Oh, okay. Um, I have the window open again because it's hot. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Um, if anything, you know, I would one of the things that this movie seems to be saying to me is part of it you're watching it watching it and you're just like god the corporate world sucks you know and i mean they they they're clearly painting that i i don't i don't think you know they're just showing how horrible working in corporate america is but also i think it's it's not just his you know that he's lost his masculine masculinity and he's maybe regaining it in terms of you know, with women or whatever, but also I think it's that I think the, they're saying you have to kiss so much ass in the corporate world also. And it's just like, you know, he deserves this promotion. Everybody thinks he should get it. And then he doesn't get it. And then there is a scene where he's, and I don't know who, if they say what this guy's title is, but he's meeting with some higher up and he's almost like a kid in the principal's office. You know, did you have that kind of feeling as he's, mm. and, and I, I almost thought they were painting like, look how that he has to go and grovel, you know, to this guy essentially. And then he yeah. winds up killing him because the guy has, uh, he says to him, so he, um, the, uh, the guy who he's passed over for the promotion has a boat, which he blows up his boat and kills that guy. And he also kills the Asian computer guy. Um, and then when he meets with this next higher up guy, he, the, the guy is telling him how he, he has a plane and Michael Caine's like, Oh, you have a plane. He's like, yeah, I have a Cessna. And I go out and well, then I the very every weekend. Yeah. So the closing shot is the guy's plane flying and like the engine cutting out. And then you find out that he he now has taken that guy's job, so he got his coveted corner office or whatever. So right, um, I, so I don't know. But the, the one of the things that struck me as funny watching this again, and I don't I don't recall this the first time around. But so he kills the wife by electrocuting her, uh, you know, of having her touch this light bulb that's shorting out. She gets electrocuted, and so. There's a police detective there and he is instantly suspicious of Michael Caine oh, for no instantly, reason, basically. Instantly. And I just thought, would this really happen in the real world? Would somebody I get electrocuted? Noticed, I, I just noticed that, uh, you know, a lot of dust, no dust on the light bulb. There's, no, yeah. uh, there's a piece of tape. There's no dust on it. It's just funny. There's no dust. Huh? What do you think about that? No dust on the tape. Like, I, I don't know, dude. I... I guess there was no dust on the tape. Maybe my dead wife brushed the dust off when it electrocuted. It was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what and is your deal? Now, maybe I just had a bad experience, but um, I had a break-in one time. Somebody oh, broke boy. into our house. And fortunately, it was a house that was, it was a vacant house. But somebody broke in. We still had some things in there. And I'll just tell this real quick story. So not long after that, I get, I had a computer stolen and I get this call. This woman calls me and she says, yeah, I, I uh, bought your computer. And I said, bought my computer. What are you talking about? 
And she said, oh, oh, I bought this computer. And I was like, oh, I had a broke a break in and somebody stole a computer. And she's like, oh, I was afraid of that. So she said, yeah, these guys, uh, you know, sold me this computer and I needed the password to get in. And she goes, I have their name and address. I said, OK, <laughs> we contact the police. This was after, you know, we'd already reported to the police uh, that we'd had this break in. Contact the police tell them these guys' names and their address. And they said, oh yeah, they're known uh, drug people in the area. And so we said, okay, good. So are you going to go and arrest them? No. If they'd like to turn themselves in, they can, but we're not going to go. And so, so you know. What? Yeah, yeah. And they didn't do anything. I mean, nothing. If <laughs> they was... like to turn themselves in? Well, okay, that's not yeah. good. So we have a woman who is a witness that said she bought stolen property, right? We can, I can confirm that it's stolen property. Yeah. The lady, you've got a, you've got a witness, you've got a motive, you've got the stolen merchandise, names and addresses of the people who the police knew as like meth, meth dealers or whatever in the area. Why would they not? Why would they not? I mean, that's an open and shut case. I don't understand. I, I don't think they cared basically, but, uh, but anyway, so I am dubious of the fact that the police would show up if somebody gets electrocuted, you know, your wife gets electrocuted. I can't imagine this actually happening, you know, that the guy, but you know, it's, it's, it's a movie. So they have to have uh but I just thought that was really funny that, so then for the rest of the movie, the guy's like, I know you're doing this and I'm going to nail you, you know, and he's never able to put it, you know, put it together. Uh, I can't get away with it. So there's a lighter that he's very, it's a gold lighter that he is very fond of and that people know is his lighter because it's like his talisman. And why, when he, so he's got a, he's got a senior buddy who's they're moving, pushing out of the, it's the sort of cautionary tale. They're pushing the older guy out, and he's a really nice guy. Everybody, really likes nice him. guy. Yeah, a um, little bit, a little bit of a bore, but but a nice guy. And but he's old friend, school. He's not the. Yeah. He's not a computer guy. Yeah, he's like, oh, they, what they're doing everything wrong these days. So they they push him out, and he and Michael Caine at um, his retirement party get that the office throws for him. Get he gets really drunk, and Michael Caine gets him home and he passes out on the couch. And so Michael Caine sees an opportunity and he, there's a car service card in the guy's wallet. And he sort of he st- steals the car service card from the guy's wallet and then uh, books a car service thing for a certain night, the following night or whatever under the guy's, uh, uh, you know, he puts on an American accent and claims to be the guy and makes the reservation for the car to take him out to the the guy who passed him over's house to rig up the boat that will explode when he's out doing it. That was not clear. Anyway, uh, so when he's in, so then he invites. Um, oh, this is another despicable thing I forgot that he does. So he asks the young woman out on a date and they go out on a date and then they go back to his place and he spikes her drink. Yeah. He drugs her. He gets the office mailboy to get him some downers to help him sleep. And he doesn't allow him to have an alibi because she thinks he was with him all with her. So, so she passes out. He undresses her and puts her in bed, right? She's passed out. He then gets in the car service as as the other guy, the older guy, goes out there, rigs up, turns the gas on the boat and rigs up matches so that when you open the hatch, it's full of gas and kaboom goes the boat. And he knows the guy likes to take the boat out. So he's hoping the gas will be on all night and build up in there. And then when the guy comes in, they want to go down underneath in the boat, kablam. And that's exactly what happens. But meanwhile, he goes back to his place in the city and, uh, you know, and gets undressed and gets into bed next to her. He doesn't, you know, rape her, doesn't take advantage of her. But, you know, that's when she wakes up naked in bed with this guy. She assumes she had too much to drink and they had sex. And she doesn't seem too upset by it. She's into him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, was it good for me? And that's, that's a joke. <laughs> but uh, 
you know, and he was like, well, you, you know, you seem to enjoy yourself or whatever. And then they, then they have morning sex, then mm. they make love. Right. So in her mind, the implication is, you know, I, I was with him all night. We were there at his apartment all night because the cop comes and asks her questions. So great alibi actually. Right. And she really yeah. believes it. Now he left his lighter in the car service car, the gold lighter. Right. So they send it back to the old man because that he was the old man was the quote unquote guy in the car. Right. That's who booked it. Yes. Uh, with the receipt and they sort of wrap it up in the receipt and they mail it to his office, which is the address they must have on file. And the secretary and then that's how she finds out about it is she knows this is the other guy's. She knows it's Michael Caine's lighter. Cause it's a special lighter. He, he makes a point. He's like, where's my lighter? Fuck. You know, he's, you know, frantic. And she's like, don't we hear some matches? And he's like, Oh, of course, silly me. But she knows that he's lost his lighter. So that's when she gets suspicious and puts it together. And she calls the cop to say, I'm going to give you, I've got the, you know, she rats on him basically and says, I have the lighter as proof. And the cop, this is a very long walk to get to this, but the cop is so excited because now he's like, this is a slam dunk. And I had the thought, man, a gold lighter doesn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't prove anything. The boat exploded. There's no proof that it wasn't just an accident, right? For this super cop, for some reason, this super detectives, Columbo here, is certain it's Michael Caine. But there's not there, there's only circumstantial evidence. She doesn't know that they weren't together the whole night, even if she's convinced it was him. And so it would be her testimony. I mean, talk about reasonable doubt. No prosecutor would take it. No. But he's like, it's like Othello where it's all hanging on this handkerchief, like the proof, the proof, you know? Yeah. So he threatens to kill her and get it back. And she she balks and she gives it back to him and he lets her walk away and transfers her to L.A. And it's like she gets a, a promotion and goes to L.A. Yeah. yeah and, and you're sort of like, well, I guess the system now he's running the system and he was supposed to be the shock to the system. But now since he got a shock to the system in his basement, now he's the shock. So I don't know what this movie's talking about. <laughs> do, you, do you get the feeling from watching this. So we don't see anything about his life prior to these events. And we're clearly supposed to root for him and be on his side. But as you brought up, you know, he does all these despicable things. So it felt to me as if the film were saying when he, when he kills the guy in the subway and gets away with it, that this has freed him to be able to do anything and get away with it. But he, you know, he steals this, uh, uh, the, the card that his buddy George has for the, uh, rental car agency, you know, charges that to him. Like you said, he drugs the girlfriend in addition to the people that he murders. So, I mean, how did you feel about that? Was it, was he, you know, you can't imagine somebody doing all these devious things and not having done them their entire life. You know, does that make mm. sense? Yeah. Yeah. He, in other words, he's, he's pretty blithe about his transition to, you know, it's like, it, it's the it's the it's the nice guy that imagines all the ways he'd get ahead if only he weren't such a nice guy and something happens and he's like yeah I'm done being Mr. Nice Guy so he has to but game he has to he has to, has he has to cheat because anyway. the system is going to cheat you so you have to <laughs> right. cheat back right and then the movie endorses it mm-hmm. by allowing him to get away with it yeah. So because you're you're supposed to be rooting for him at the end, because that was the that was the one thing that I felt was definitely I felt meant to be funny was when the the plane is going to crash at the end. Right. You know that you're definitely supposed to think that is funny. Um, So I think there's a lot that is supposed to land like a joke, but. You know, anti anti heroes are tough. You know, you got Tony Soprano and you got Walter White, and 
we we are rooting for those characters. We love those characters, but we don't have any um, illusions about those characters. I think both of those examples shows uh, were terrific in that they mostly relish in the exploits of we get to celebrate the victories of the, the hero of the show, the anti-hero. Uh, but they're, both of those programs are good about reminding us how brutal and immoral their behavior is. You know, there'll be a scene that just is, twists a knife in your stomach and says, remember, this is your guy, right? I mean, he's a murderer, you know, and he's and a drug dealer and like he's a despicable guy and he's manipulating people and ruining lives. And then you're like, oh yeah, right, right, right. And And that's the sort of, hat trick of an anti-hero is is making um a show about a truly bad person that you get the audience to root for and that i just don't think that the, this was successful in that um so i have a question for you so i i feel like the you were saying that you didn't think michael kane was right for this role where Whereas I felt the opposite that Michael Caine is is so likable that you you go along with this to a degree because he's so likable. I think if it were somebody, hmm. you know, he's doing all these bad things, but he still seems charming, and you and you're still kind of with him. But I think you know you could have other people in this role, and you'd just be like, ah, he's just a total scumbag. How, how do you? Is there somebody who, that you can think of? Yeah, that you think would be better for this? I mean, I haven't given a lot of thought to this. I think I think you're right that if you would have cast Jeremy Piven, the whole thing would have fallen flat on its face, mm -hmm. right? But I also think that Jeremy Piven wouldn't have played it straight. Like Jeremy Piven would have played it like, um, you know, uh, what was the entourage entourage yeah you know it would just jacked up reality you know mm -hmm. um and and you couldn't cast someone like harrison ford because they wouldn't have taken it it's just not strong enough a movie yeah <laughs> um i don't know i mean you know if it really was a comedy then you if you got somebody who actually has somebody at, you know like ryan reynolds or somebody who can do edgy and charming like he can be, he can play a nice guy, uh, an earnest guy, but also is capable of, uh, I don't know, I guess. He he's... actually, so speaking of Ryan Reynolds, that's, that's an interesting. Um, he's younger though, too. So. Yeah, that's an, that's interesting because he did a film and I forget what the name of it was, but I'm going to look here really quickly and see if I can, if I can, uh. He did a film a few years ago. Uh, it's been in like in the last 10 or so years. Uh, I'll come up with it at some point later. But it, at any rate, he did a film where he was a serial killer. And it's a it's a comedy. I mean, it's it's definitely meant to be. It even has like a musical scene in it. And he's completely insane. And he has a dog and a cat and his dog and, and cat speak to him. Hmm. Um, weird. So, and you are, you know, it, it's, it's this kind of weird thing because you, you're definitely meant to like him as he murders all these people throughout the film. So hmm. yeah, a, he would be somebody who's like a heavy lift. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. You, you talk and I'll, I'll find the name of the movie. Cause now I need to, all right. Well, I mean, Finally, why don't we why don't we wrap this up? Because I know sure. you had a couple of other things you wanted to talk about. Yeah, while yeah, you yeah. Look, I I would say, um, I hesitate to recommend it, although I don't want to give it a thumbs down because I I've enjoyed like wondering about it with you. Like I I think it would have been really fun to get a case of beer, and you know, uh, and sit and watch this together. And, and pause it or just talk over it. It'd be like, what? Well, now, what does that mean? Like, what are they, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it would have been fun to kind of 
live action MST3K this with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think in that way, this is a movie like, I don't know, it's a kind of movie like, okay, every time a homeless guy asks him for a dollar drink or something, you know, I mean, it, I, I think it's not Rocky Horror Picture Show, but I think, you know, I it's not that I didn't enjoy watching it. I I didn't love it, but we've we've reviewed much worse movies. Oh, uh, sure. And I didn't find it boring. I didn't get to a point where I'm like, this is boring. I want to turn this off or I don't want to finish this movie on board. Um, so in that sense, you know, I, I guess I give a thumb like a horizontal thumb mm. or an open palm up being like, ah, eh. you know, uh, not a strong endorsement, but not a condemnation. Yeah. It's like a 6.7 on IMDb, which I think is a, is a, is an okay rating for this. I'd say six, uh, 5.7. Yeah. That's kind of uh, where I'd put it. For me, I guess it's just I really like Michael Caine a lot, but I I like him in this role. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some other good, you know, interesting actors. Uh, so Elizabeth McGovern is the is the girlfriend, and, and she's she's very likable and really good. It's it's a very and maybe this is why this person didn't direct a lot of things, but it's just kind of pedestrian. In you know, there's nothing uh, really great about the cinematography or anything like that. It has this kind of jazzy score that seemed to be big in the eighties and, and early nineties um, with, you know, like a bass playing and it's just, it's just kind of jazzy music, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's just one that a lot of people haven't seen. And I, I saw a comment from Michael Caine that uh, it, it seemed like he, uh, really enjoyed being in this movie. And he said it just kind of got lost in the shuffle at the time. And, you know, not many people saw it. Um, so if you're a big Michael Caine fan, you know, you might check it out. It's not really, again, it's categorized as a dark comedy, but it's not funny. It's not really a thriller. I wouldn't say. Right. It's, it's not a horror movie. Somewhere in between. You certainly don't, you don't see the deaths. Like she's reaching for the light bulb and then it cuts away and there's a zap noise. Yeah. Right? So you don't, there's no horror, but it's a little bit of a thriller because you follow the, and there's a cop investigating and you wonder, are they going to get him or are they, is he going to get away with it? Um, but they build it as a dark comedy. So it doesn't yes. quite know how to make up its mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and it yeah. doesn't really work as either. <laughs> no, no. So I, I'd say mild, mild thumbs up. Um, for me, that Ryan Reynolds movie, which this is one that maybe we could do sometime, uh, is called The Voices, and it's from hmm. 2014. Um, it has Anna Kendrick in it as well, and uh, Ryan Reynolds, he has a dog and a cat, and he voices the dog and the cat as well. Great, perfect. So I think it's the one is Scottish. I think it's the dog is Scottish, so he has a Scottish accent, and so. Well, it sounds like a train wreck, so we might have to do it. I, 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 there's a part of me that's like it can't be as bad good as it sounds. Has a six point four on on IMDb, but it only has three three thousand or no? Oh, it has fifty five thousand ratings. Sorry, I've um, never heard of it. Like, yeah. never even heard of it. Yeah, it was an. I mean, it's an it's an indie. For it, as I recall, it's it's not a poorly a poorly made film or anything, but. Yeah, it's pretty weird. So um, I wanted to, we got a little bit of feedback on Instagram about our episode 57, which was Phenomena. And I had asked on, so that was Dario Argento movie. And I had asked, uh, how do you think this rates among Dario Argento movies? And uh, we had one person, the master Gio, G-I-O, who said it's in his top five for sure. This one holds a special place in my heart as it was the first movie I saw of Argeno with knowledge of him. I used to watch the VHS all the time as a kid to the point where I broke the tape, but how could a kid like me not love it? Donald Pleasance, Iron Maiden, Motorhead, Gore, and Jennifer Connelly. That's like everything a metalhead horror fan, preteen teen boy could ask for. And then, uh, Il, Il Mondolino Cubo, 
which I'm sure I'm <laughs> not saying that right, who appears to be Italian uh, because on his his or her... If that is it, your real name. If that is your real name. On uh, his or her Instagram, everything is in Italian, uh, said, I love this movie. It's my favorite among Argento's movies. So that was a little feedback that we had. On, so if you are interested cool. and you've not listened to that episode, that is episode 57 of Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Um, Chris and Chris Talk Movie. And uh, one other thing I wanted to just ask, see your reaction to this, Chris. Um because I know you are at least have been a walking dead fan, which I have never have been. I saw a couple episodes, but did you see that? So Frank Darabont, the director, um, he was the original showrunner on the walking dead for the first season. And then they fired him and he sued and they had a settlement of $200 million. Did you see about that? No. Yeah. So they settled with him for two hundred million, and you know it's his agency or something like that. So it's not not that he will completely get, uh, you know, two hundred million dollars all for himself. But I'm sure he probably never has to work again if he doesn't want to. But I was reading about that today, and they had released emails that Frank Darabont had. Um, while he was working on the show had sent to crew members and producers and things like that. And they are really hilarious. I just wanted to read just a couple of these that were funny. Um, so he got mad because he didn't feel like the, uh, the people that were writing scripts were doing a good job. So he said that there was no writing room, that he was the writing room because he had to fix everything. And he said, the lazy effing a-holes who were supposedly going to be my showrunners threw that responsibility on me after wasting five months months of my life. If it were up to me, I'd have not only fired these two writers when they handed me the worst episode three script imaginable. I have hunted them down and effing killed them with a brick, then gone and burned down their homes. <laughs> these were emails that he sent yeah uh send people sent yeah that any cc'd people and everything professional I mean, it's like you you type that out and, and you read it and you yep that's exactly what I send professional courtesy is something one earns and those douchebags have not earned mine i don't want to want to see them cc'd on anything anymore um let's see uh attempting to ext- to convey the extent of his rage Everybody, especially our directors, better wake the F up and pay attention or I will start killing people and throwing bodies out the door. <laughs> F you all for giving me chest pains because of the staggering effing incompetence, blindness to the important beats and the beyond arrogant lack of regard for what is written being exhibited on set every day. Um, seeing those dailies today left me gobsmacked and thinking i should fake my own death leave town and live under an assumed name (laughs) wow Um, it must be a joy to work with oh yeah uh and then there was some uh cinematographer or something like that that he had worked with on some previous project um he had said had gotten to where like it was like they had no idea what they were doing. Like they'd never done it before. And they found out after the fact that the guy had had a stroke and didn't know it. And so he was comparing somebody working on show this show to that guy. And he said, I honestly think we should recommend to, to Gwyneth that she go get a brain scan. If she, and see if she's had a real problem, she may be in real danger. It's that bad. (laughs) I don't know. It was just, uh, so yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, Hard to imagine why they fired him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine sending emails like that? No. At your work? I mean, no, no, I cannot. Well, I can imagine it, but I you but wouldn't I be around do it. Long. Imagine spending sending emails like that and then getting two hundred million dollars ten years later. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Michael Caine and a shock to the system. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Speaking of that, uh, Walking Dead, is it, when is it ending? It's going to end sometime, right? Or are they continuing on? 
I mean, I is it know, still, the, uh, is there an end in sight or? The, the comic ended sort of abruptly. Mm. Um, Frank Darabont is suing him too. There's an ongoing uh, lawsuit with what's his, what's his name? Kirkman? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah the, that guy who created the, the comic. So he's, he's suing him too. I wonder why he's just made a comic, right? Yeah. So. Well, he's a producer on the show, so yeah. so he probably. I, I think he was actually pretty actively involved with. I think he wrote some of the episodes and things. I believe. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So the the comic is over. The storyline of The Walking Dead is over, and I think that the principal, many of the principal characters of The Walking Dead, got um, chlamydia. Big, God, no. chlamydia. That's what happens at the end. Everybody dies of chlamydia. They, uh, right. The dead don't get them at all. Uh, but they die of chlamydia, so they come back. And mm-hmm. then it's just a show about them dead wandering around. Uh, they got big. And I think that uh, Andrew Lincoln had, got, had other, wanted to go on and do other movie stuff, right? And mm-hmm. so Which they hasn't sort of, really panned out. What has he done? Mm, I don't know. Um, but, you know, and. I started watching the show because I went to college with uh, Sarah Callies, who plays um, his Andrew Lincoln's wife in the first season. Um, and, and she's long since dead, right? Yeah, she dies okay. in the first season. Sorry, spoiler alert if you aren't familiar with the property. But, uh, you know, and I was like, wow, this is really good. And then so I'm like, oh, there's a comic. And then I gobbled up the comic. Um and I was sort of hooked on it ever since. It has changed a lot, and there's been a big leap in time. And any one of these television shows that goes on as long as this one has suffers some of these. You know, it's just not the same show that it was. And there are some, there are some still some through characters that are still in it that kind of hold it together. But it's not the ensemble piece that it was early on. Um, and Andrew Lincoln did a really good job of holding it all together. Um, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to end. I don't like read the chat boards and follow it. And it's like when another episode comes out, I watch it, but they like, they'll put out three and then they'll nothing happens for, I mean, I know COVID whatever, but you know, nine months will go by and then before there's another episode. So I forget what happened, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like I am not on the edge of my seat with it, but, and they've had many spinoffs. They've got fear the walking dead and fear the walking dead even more. And I don't know, there's a couple of other that I watched a little bit and it's some of those have strong elements, which is not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but you know, it appears that even if Frank Darabont is an asshole, People seem to think the first season was good, and that's the one that he was in charge of. If you if you're into the zombie apocalypse stuff, then I can't recommend uh, highly. I can't recommend it highly enough. The season one of the just watch the pilot. If the pilot doesn't get its teeth into you, as it were, uh, then it's probably not for you. But yeah, right, that's what right happened, off, that's what happened to me. I watched the pilot, and maybe one other episode, and I was just like, eh, well, this is not for me. I thought this is this is terrific uh, a mood like a guy wakes up in the hospital and the world has ended like we don't know anything about him just mm-hmm. the opening scene is he wakes up in this hospital uh from a gunshot wound and then there's some he pieces together what happened when he was shot but he's been in a coma the whole time and meanwhile the world has ended uh and then the zombies eat his horse right I mean yeah there's a whole it it unfolds from there like he he gets out of bed and the hospital is uh is more or less vacant there's a bunch of corpse you know zombies that are sort of chained in a room but he doesn't he has we're he has no idea how to get his head around the concept like this is a world in which there there's no romero movies right so this is a zombie world in which zombies never happened before now just at some point, the dead got up and started biting people. Mm-hmm. So this guy wakes up from a coma with 
six months. He's been in for six months or a year or something like that. And in the meantime, the world has ended and the dead are walking around, you know, and it's just, it's crazy discovering this world with him. And it's very bleak and scary and dark. And I just thought, you know, you, you say it didn't, it didn't hook you. It really hooked me. And yeah. And I was actually, it was one of those where, and I, we've probably talked about this on the show. I I'm weird in that I have a hard time with TV. It's just, I don't know if I don't have a good attention span anymore or not, but I, I think I would have enjoyed the walking dead if it were just a 90 minute movie, but to, you know, sure. Get well, into do you still read comics at all. Yeah. Yeah. I never I read the walking. I never read the walking. I bet dead, you'd but. love it, man. Yeah. I, it's it. Of course, goes places that TV could never go. Right. Like, there are some, there are some moments reading that, that I was like, I had to put it down. I was like, Oh man. Uh, I can't process that. What just happened in that comic right now? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, there there are a that's, lot of that's comics. crazy. There are a lot of comics that I'll read that I wouldn't actually watch their movies or the TV shows or anything. A great example of that is the Umbrella Academy. Have you have you seen any of the Umbrella Academy? I tried. I watched an episode or two, and I was like, um, nope. So I loved the comic, and. Uh, tried to watch the show and was just like, yeah. Uh, be, the tone of the comic for me is 80s, early 90s Tim Burton. If he could have, if he could have done, you know, if it could have been adapted by Tim Burton back then, that's the perfect tone, which I didn't feel like the show really had that. So oh, it the, was the comic's a lot of fun. Earnest, you know? Yeah, the comic is more you know, is, is campier, I feel. Um, but I highly recommend it. It's, it's really good, but yeah, there are other things like that. It's like the, you know, we've talked about the Marvel stuff and everything I really like. And even now they're doing some great stuff with, um, daredevil in comics. And, you know, I tried to watch the Netflix daredevil show and I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. So I think I made it through the first season with D'Onofrio. Yeah, uh, but I couldn't get through the second season. Yeah, so, um, so I think we're we're getting at time, but uh, for next for the next episode, are we going to do? Is it Edge of Tomorrow? Is that what it's called? Yes. Okay. Tom Cruise, Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah, you've never that, seen it. I've never seen it. It's one of those that <clears throat> I've I, tons I of people it. have recommended it. I I just never got around to it for some reason. I yeah. He genuinely generally does good movies. You know, we were talking, we've texted some back and forth about Oblivion. That was, I think, maybe around the same time that it I liked came out quite, the following summer. Okay, that I liked quite a bit. That is an underappreciated, 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 underappreciated sci-fi film. I feel. I concur. Um, we could do and, that one too, but probably not yeah. back to back. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that sometime because I haven't seen it since it came out in cinemas. But but yeah, I'm excited because I've this gives me a reason to watch. It's just one of those where it's always you know you see it on a streaming service or whatever and think oh I should watch that and just not in the mood or whatever and don't get around to it. But but I I've, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about it. So I think uh, I think. It, you, I think you'll enjoy this. Um, I, for one, am looking forward to watching it again. I, I, I bought it after I saw it in the theaters, and I've watched it seven or eight times. I don't, you know, wow. sit and watch it every weekend, but like, I'll get a hankering for it, and I'll go back and I'll sit down. And I'll be like, I really enjoy that movie. So I, I hope that you do too. But you may not. Yeah, I may not. It's, it's, it could happen. I might hate it. We shall see. But why don't you watch it with us and uh, let us know what you think. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. All the socials. Ding a ding ding. Subscribe, like smash that like button. I don't even smash. You're supposed to say smash. You're supposed to say smash that like button. I don't know if anybody does anything else to the the like button other than smash it. Yeah. Don't smash it. You can't hurt yourself. I I, nobody ever punches the like button or taps it. They smash it firmly press. I don't even know what that does for us. Nothing. I I don't know. Anyway.
Makes us feel good. I we guess. need another, if somebody would like to give us another five-star review, because we never figured out who the other one was from. Yay! So. It's not my mom, because I know she doesn't listen to podcasts. We should just do a podcast where we just recommend films to our parents. Try to get There was them no text, watch. right? Somebody just gave us five stars? Just five stars here. Yeah, it just came up on there, and it, and it didn't say a name or anything. But wonder well, if somebody... You, I wonder mystery five-star person. I, I'm getting off on a, not a tangent, but a side thing but i wonder if i'm sure somebody does this but a really fun podcast idea would just be to show movies to your parents that you know they wouldn't like you know like 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 I don't have know your parents how fun watch, that would be have your parents watch you'd have to have parents that were i don't know that my parents it would be they they wouldn't be very fun i don't think but you know have them watch like fight club or something like that see what they see what they think of it I'm going to hard pass. (laughs) (laughs) But if you do that podcast with somebody else, well, with your parents, I'll subscribe to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, everybody. Yes, we are at time. So for next week, um, Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise. And um, I'm spacing on her name. I think is in it, right? Yes, Emily Blunt. Blunt. Yes, Yes, that's the name. And I see your face in my mind and I spaced on the name. Sorry, Emily Blunt. Sorry. And probably some other people, I imagine. There's a few other folks in there as well. Um, And this has been great. And we will talk to you next week.